0: The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.
1: I want to walk. Come back to you. That's why I hate myself for loving you. Don't hate yourself. It's not your fault, man. my, My husband will tell you. I'm just, I can be so lovable (laughs) or so completely hateable. Either way, I'm just so grateful that people have strong emotions about me. You don't want to just be kind of cruising through life and nobody really remembers you for any reason, good or bad. So I am grateful as we come to the end of another year. I keep thinking, how is it that I was able to do this as long as I've been doing it. Because when I started doing this, everybody predicted it would be about eh, three months. (laughs) And here we are 33 years later, so I'm very grateful. I really am, mostly to you because you've embraced me, even in those weird times when everybody was in direct opposition to my opinions, be they left, right, in between. But there's something about entertainment in terms of talk radio, that I think a lot of political analysts, they forgot or they just take themselves so seriously that there's no way to connect to them. I think the greatest strength that Dan Bongino has is not the fact that he, look, obviously he's well-connected, he was a secret service guy, he knows presidents and senators, he ran for office three times, so he, he really knows his stuff and that makes a fascinating show but it's really his ability to relate to people at the lowest common level. And I don't mean low like in the gutter low. I mean like something that we're all share. We all question certain things and we all communicate at a certain level with one another. And he's pretty fearless. And I feel like that's a great thing. But there's some stuff to be afraid of. Obviously, we've got a fear gauge on the stock market, and it's the lowest it has been since the pandemic. So I'm just watching the market carefully. That's unusual. It doesn't even make sense on paper. Volatility is something that's very important to traders and to hedge fund managers, investment bankers. Well, basically everybody who does any business on Wall Street, even if it's just you and I logging on to our accounts. So volatility is what moves the market either into a, a lapse or a lull or excitement. When it spikes, then people don't do as many things when it's very volatile, right? You know, they get nervous. I don't know what direction we're going. I think the year of any election is generally volatile. And when it spikes, I, speaking for myself, I tend to pull back on all my activity. But when it's not very volatile, when things are very quiet and even, then you're confident and you put your money to work for you. And if the VIX, which is the volatility index, if the VIX consists, you know, stays like this consistently, you're going to see a whole bunch of new bond issues. You're gonna see a lot of IPOs. You're gonna see banks lending a lot of money. Equity volatility is dropping ever lower. That makes all kinds of deals and investments a lot easier. So you're gonna see, you're gonna see things change. Now, when I say this stuff, I'm not doing a financial radio show. This isn't Bloomberg radio. We do have a Bloomberg minute, but I'm not in it. What I am is just like you. I'm trying to maintain some kind of fiscally responsible profile for myself and my family. I don't have little kids, so I'm not worried about some of the things you guys may be worried about, but I'd like to retire one day. I know nobody believes that since I've done it three times already, but I truly one day would like to be able to turn the microphone off and exist outside of this kind of thought zoo that I live in and have been living in for decades now. So in order for me to do that and be peaceful at the same time, no, I don't have to support a family, but I do want to be able to have enough money to last. Wherever I am, whether I'm in South Florida or I'm in uh, Kentucky or I'm in uh, Costa Rica, wherever I may end up. Not that I have any plans to leave here right now. But you wouldn't know anyway. I'd just take my little machinery with me and I could broadcast from wherever I was. It's an amazing world. It's a brave new world, as they say. So this is ostensibly the last mile for inflation. The last mile... Of getting inflation back to about two percent. And that's always the most challenging. If you've ever run in a marathon, which I have, or even if, if you just run in a five K race, what just I mean, if you run distance at all, you know that the finish line may be in sight and that, you know, is a is a positive, but it's also a little nerve nerve wracking. Because you know it's gonna be the hardest last mile or last half a mile or whatever the case may be. Beating inflation in America has not seemed to become more difficult even as the time is going on. The finish line is definitely in sight and disinflation looks to still have momentum to carry through. So supply side rebounds, productivity gains, the, the economists, all these top guys that I do read, and I'm sure many of you do, we may be political animals, but we have experienced economic pain in our lives. And we understand that usually when you're fighting inflation all the way back to the sweet spot, that uh, there's going to be some pain. For the most part, you're going to experience some pain. Remember um, that this summer, the Bank for International Settlements, which is basically what we call the central bank for central banks, said that slowing inflation owed a lot to the reparation of the repairing of supply chains and the fact that the prices of commodities came down. And all the economists warned, oh, the last mile to price stability, oh, this is the most challenging, and you got tight labor markets, and inflation is still strong in the service sectors particularly. But guess what? The scenario hasn't played out, at least not here in the United States. I can't speak for any of these other major markets. The labor markets have loosened up. They've been helped by a large supply of workers who came in off the sidelines, And then there's been sort of a more benign inflation environment. I was thinking about that. If you take out food and energy prices, we're really on track to, you know, get close to 3.4%, 3.5%. And it doesn't make any sense at all to me. I read everybody. There's a guy I read, uh, an economist by the name of Paul Donovan. And he had written last month that, There's a lot of evidence that this last little experience, this last mile of inflation is going to be a sprint, not a trudge. So we'll see. Top White House economist uh, Brainerd told reporters on Friday that she knew last month when people were arguing that there was still a lot of data that was incomplete or the inflation trajectory was very confusing. But she says, I don't get that argument today. So there's a lot of room to run especially on the supply side so i guess all i'm saying is we don't really have to be as worried as i was afraid we'd have to be and it's not because of bidenomics so don't you know fill your head with silliness what it is because of is a super healthy attitude for some reason in this country. I cannot, like I said, speak about, I don't look at the broader economic numbers. I don't look at Europe. I don't look at, uh, you know, any of the other continents since I don't really do financial broadcasting. I only look at the numbers for us here in America. And I'll tell you, I keep waiting for some horrible happening and it just doesn't happen. As I said at the, the beginning of this conversation, the fear gauge is at its lowest level since the pandemic. That's the, um, the VIX, the volatility index. So I don't know. Is that a hopeful sign? It sure is. Does it help Joe Biden? It should, but it doesn't seem to be. D- will it help whoever sits in the Oval Office in the next term? You bet it will. So... I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay and, and you're okay. More okay than you thought you'd be. Even if you looked uh, at how you were feeling, because I keep a journal and I looked at what I was saying last year at this time and I was not as hopeful or positive as I am this year and that's kind of crazy. And it's not because there have been any real changes, particularly in my in my profile. You know, I'm a year older. So that should make things even more crazy. And it's, so far, so good. So that's one of the things that I was looking at all weekend, trying to make sense of. You know, why is it that the stock market and and the VIX are where they are? You gotta go deep into some of these subjects. And you don't have the time, most of you. You're busy. You got, you know, the kinds of jobs where getting information like this, you're dependent on other people to do it. Well, I'm one of those other people, so trust me, I spent a lot of time looking at those numbers this weekend. I was also looking at all these numbers, right, about who these primary candidates really, how they're really doing. You know, especially Nikki Haley, because she's now the favorite, I don't know, of who or what makes her that but people keep saying oh she's doing so well she's she's uh, you know she's gaining on on Donald Trump in New Hampshire so i said well i better look at these numbers cuz that's not what i've been feeling or telling people you know so i looked at the cbs news poll that everybody was citing and and then i looked at new hampshire numbers because i think what people forget or maybe it's not that they forgot it but it doesn't help their narrative so they just don't use it is there's definitely going to be different amounts of interest in the stories that come out of New Hampshire and that come out of Iowa. Not just because they are different races, but because they're entirely consistent, more consistent with populations unlike South Florida. So we're watching these numbers and they mean far less in terms of what we can expect here than they do to, say, uh, somebody living in Georgia. So we shall see. But I, I, I had a good weekend. I had a good weekend. It was filled with a lot of study. I did a lot of reading this weekend. I did a lot of uh, writing, trying to sort through my, my thoughts. And I, I must say, I came out of the weekend, unlike last week. If you remember me last Monday, I was like a psychotic animal. I'm not in that frame of mind this week. I don't know. It could change In the next 20 minutes, could change tonight, we'll see. All I know is the candidate that I prefer, and it's not even prefer, the only candidate that I can feel confident can do what needs to be done in this country is still leading in New Hampshire. And now what's happened is all of the un-Trump vote or the non-Trump vote has been shifting. And, and Nikki Haley is the one who is coming out on top. She's the most likable, according to all the polls, and she's the most reasonable, um, and and she's pretty even with Donald Trump on prep being prepared, which is crazy, since he was the president. But her whole campaign has been uh, based on electability. And so, of course, that's what's being described in all of these polls that she has the highest electability of the primary contestants. And of course, I mean, Ron DeSantis is the only ones that are left are DeSantis and Ramaswamy. I guess uh, you have to include Governor Christie because he's still in double digits, barely, but he's there. And then Vivek and Asa Hutchinson, I don't know why they're still in the race, but it's exciting, keep them around. You know, Iowa, not so much. Iowa's, uh, Donald Trump's way ahead of DeSantis, who's second. Nikki Haley's far behind Ron DeSantis, but Ron has poured a lot of money into, the, you know, that particular Iowa caucus. So nobody really knows. Anyway, it's exciting. I, it, there's, it's like an illness, right, that I'm so excited about crunching numbers and polls. One would think that I could find something better to do on the weekend, but I didn't better for you. Anyway, don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app, so you can participate in our contest. You can get storm updates. You can do all that cool stuff, or at least visit the website once, twice a week, 850wftl.com. Stick around. I have a segment here, and then in in the bottom of the hour segment, I will be talking to Brian Kilmeade, unless he blows this interview again, in which case I will never talk to him again, but I'm pretty sure he'll be there. So stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So, uh, Facebook has had another record year, and I don't get it, because I don't even know people who do Facebook anymore. Well, I guess I do, but I'm not, it's not like it used to be, where every time you turned around, your friends were going, did you see what so-and-so posted on Facebook? I never hear that anymore. Of course, people probably know better than to say it to me anyway. We do have a bit of a problem, or at least the Republican Party has a bit of a problem right now here in Florida. And they had a second, they're having, I guess, a second emergency meeting in a couple of weeks to determine whether or not, well, they already on this Sunday, I guess yesterday, yeah, yesterday, voted to functionally strip all power from the chairman, uh, Christian Ziegler, who is under criminal investigation for these allegations of sexual assault, including a rape charge. And they had an emergency meeting of the Florida GOP's State Executive Committee in Orlando, a gathering that was called as the Sarasota Police Department investigates these allegations that Ziegler raped a woman in early October in her apartment in Sarasota. He's, he has not even been formally charged, and he has said he had, has done nothing wrong. So, you know, we have become a nation of you're guilty until proven innocent. He, he, they voted to make his salary $1, and to strip him of just about all of his power as chairman, gave all the authority to the vice chair, this Evan Power. They couldn't vote to oust Ziegler during the Sunday meeting, but that's what they're going to do next month. That's their plan. So, you know, their Power said, today the Republican Party of Florida took a step to hold our chairman accountable for his actions. We will follow through in removing him from power, but I implore Chairman Ziegler to do the right thing and resign. Now, Governor DeSantis has called on him to resign. He said no. He he wrote a letter to all the party leaders this month, and he called the allegations false, said he's been, um, you know, getting his advice from, Corey Lewandowski and Steve Bannon, of course, both part of the Trump administration, and they have both encouraged him to fight. Um, Corey Lewandowski has worked on political campaigns with Christian Ziegler in the past. And, uh, that, you know, look, Ziegler, in my opinion, should probably step aside or. I don't know if there's an alternative to resigning. Like, can he just take a sabbatical or a brief, uh, you know, vacation or something and allow things to transpire in the direction they're going to transpire? But the idea that he gets punished before there's even been charges really bothers me. It could happen to anybody. If it could happen to these big type politicians, what would stop you or me from being considered guilty and our employers firing us, even though no charges had even been brought against us or, or no opportunity to defend ourselves had been given to us. We'll see. It's gonna be an interesting test case. And I understand, I would want, if I were him, I'd wanna step aside, get the attention off of me in an election here. It's a, too important a year to be playing. Plus, the whole allegation thing is very bizarre to me. You know, they're having a threesome and the, I don't know. People are just plain weird sexually is what I've decided. I'm just not. So to me, it's all like, <laughs> you know, that's all I can say. Anyway, I'm going to break. I'm going to take a break on time because I want to be on time with Brian Kilmead. He will be my next guest. You don't want to miss it. Stay right where you are. Well, every now and then, you know, you think to yourself, gosh, I have such a busy schedule and I do so many things. And then you look at someone like my next guest, Brian Kilmeade, and you say, my goodness, I'm like the laziest person in talk radio. Um, But it's always a pleasure to get to speak with Brian, who literally, uh, I was just listening to you on the air uh, just prior to this morning's show. I saw you this morning on TV. Like, when do you sleep?
0: Uh, last night, not much, because we <laughs> were doing stuff uh, for the book in Wichita, Kansas. Had to hook up with two other planes, dealt with some weather, but normally about uh, 10 to 2.30.
1: Oh gosh, unbelievable! But you know, it, it's so fascinating to me how you come up with some of these pairings. And this latest pairing, the the new book, is really who even ever dreamed they'd be reading about Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington, who ended up having quite a close relationship. How did you find that out?
0: Well, I mean, talking to both uh, families, and you know, Booker T. Washington wrote a lot, and he wrote his first book was. The number one African-American bestseller to Malcolm X, you know, when he opened up from slavery, his true story of how he was born, what he went through, and how he got to where he was. Everyone was astounded by it, Mm -hmm. including—he was vice president at the time. And he said, we got to meet this guy. And they set up a meeting April 1st in New York City, him and his wife. And they just said—they just pledged to help each other out. And it was a mutual respect society began. Next thing you know, McKinley gets shot. He dies a couple of weeks later. And he becomes president. One of the first people he contacts is Booker T. Washington. He says, "You know, I got to get this country together. You know, you know the South. I'm from up here. I know the Midwest. So maybe you can help me out when it comes to judges, postmasters, masters and all the key positions." And he said, "Absolutely." As well as the uh, the black issues of the day, right? And those was dramatically different there than in the Northeast, and they just became. Uh, they became advisors for each other, all for the objective of making the country better.
1: You know, I think about how similar we are even today, so many decades later, where we're still struggling with some of these same issues, and we don't really seem to have people who are willing to work together at all. I mean, you, you get to see this on a firsthand basis every morning on Fox and Friends. Like, some of these politicians don't talk to each other for real.
0: Yeah. And it's not, you know, that's not because of race. It's because of uh, party or ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's very few people that you walk around and if you give you sodium tenosol really think there's a difference with the, the color of your skin and the difference between your intellect, uh, by your heritage. It's all about who you are, the education you get, the type of person you are. Uh, I just think that, you know, we go out of our way to bring up differences. And I'll give you a difference. Jim Crow South, that's the difference. Yeah. Uh, lynchings or a crime to have interracial dating. you got to be kidding me. I mean, mm-hmm. all stuff that we, we find unfathomable today. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a black man living in the South, he decides, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to start a school. I'm going to start training people uh, to not only uh, be highly educated, Well, give them the education. They're also going to learn a trade. And there are people that believe that, you know, there's differences in intellect because of the color of your skin. Change their minds about your industrious, mm-hmm. And don't tell me things are bad. Just fix it. Overcome it. Mm-hmm. Find a way. That's his attitude.
1: Yeah. Well, and you had to dig pretty deep into the backgrounds of these two men. I mean, how much family, you know, do you get to talk to when you're doing a book of this nature?
0: Well, there was uh, Sarah Rush with uh, Booker T. Washington. There was a whole Tuskegee school. Uh, the archivists up there were huge help, and then you have all the things that Booker T. Washington wrote his entire life, I and mean, then things have been written about him. He had so much chronicle, it made it easy, but daunting. And then for Teddy Roosevelt, I'm Long Island, and they had the Long Island University Roosevelt School, run by his great grandson, who actually remembers going to Sagamore Hill when before it was a park, before it was his great grandmother's house. They mm-hmm. used to hear the stories firsthand. And then, of course, his father told him stories and all the family stories. And he became an expert in the area. And then he started his own Descendants Association. So between William McKinley, who knew Booker D. Washington, and the Grover Cleveland, who dealt with them, and Pat, who dealt with them, you have a lot of people there that, that you came across a lot of powerful people.
1: Well, look, you know, I'm fascinated by everything to do with American history, but I find that uh, we have the most uneducated young adults. And when I look at what's going on at college campuses, particularly these elite universities, and, you know, I have to, in in all fairness, I sent my kids to Harvard and Yale and those places, and now I'm sorry I did, because they're living in, in a time, you know, zone quite different than what the rest of us in America are living in with this kind of... Hatred on campuses is pretty scary.
0: How did your kids come out? Uh,
1: somewhat messed up. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they're, they're very successful. They have great careers and they have good morals. But, but they question things that, to me, we took for granted. You know, they don't understand patriotism. They, and we're a biracial family, an interracial family. And they still want to see the world as through the eyes of a victim and oppressed and oppressors, even though we're the living fulfillment of how that doesn't oh, yeah. exist.
0: I mean, the best perspective is to travel. and If right. you find some place more accommodating with more uh, with more opportunities, you know, you stay. Right. And just say, okay, I'm better off in Norway. You know, I'm better off <laughs> in, uh, in Serbia. You know, I'm better off <laughs> in France. I mean, uh, from what I've seen, from what I've seen I, I don't think you're better off in any of those places.
1: Right. Well, my, both of my kids ended up in California, so you can figure out how much uh, brain injury there must have been at these elite schools. Cause I wouldn't want to yeah. live there.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, I was out there for a while, too, but I didn't really see the polarization back then that, that's pretty obvious now. But hopefully people are waking up to it. What's blurring the lines, I think, is the, the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are the most liberal people in our country, and then they're seeing the anger that's towards them for the very people, that they thought respected them, and they say, well, where'd you learn this from? Mm. Where'd the anti-Semitism come? You know, who told you that? Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, these people are totally turned on them, and you saw it in front of Congress two weeks ago, and hopefully things begin to change, although there's still protests today. Yeah.
1: That's for sure let me ask you a question because you have to work in the context of the television um, with people of very differing opinions and you seem to have one of the most respectful attitudes towards guys like Harold Ford um, is it uh, you know was it ever tough to have to work with well let's say Juan Williams for instance
0: No it's not tough I mean it, is, I like having different perspectives mm-hmm. what I find it interesting is, is that people that think you know? Obviously, Joe Biden's too old. Obviously, he's barely getting by. Him. Obviously, he can't say a speech. Mm-hmm. And when you can't admit that, you could say everything. Yeah, you know, like, you might not like Barack Obama's policies, but everybody knows he is a great speaker, great writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can deliver, but you might not like his policies. Right. And that's where you differ. But when you come out and you say. Yeah, that Joe Biden's doing great, and I know he's on the nitty gritty, staying up 16 hours a day doing his job. And man, he looks spry, and what a great, uh, convincing speaker. And um, I could then if if you say stuff like that, oh, I know you're you're not being candid, right? So I could disagree on issues. I just think you got to. I think where when you really get credibility is when you can admit that even though this person agrees with me, they are totally wrong. Yeah. I mean, does anyone think that Trump acted with great, uh, with great humility after the election in 2020? Does anyone think that he acted well? Does anyone think it was a really good idea not to show up for the inaugural? No. But does it mean that you don't think he would have been a better president than Joe Biden? Does it mean that 90 percent of his policies would have made the country better? Yes. But you got to be able to admit when you think that he is out of bounds. Yeah. Do I think that he should be on trial, charged 91 times with four separate indictments? Absolutely not. Right. So I think that's a good conversation to have. Absolutely. That's a given take. That's a reality. This is what I think, but I can't ignore bad behavior.
1: Right, right. Well, listen, I agree with you there, and I think that one of the things that I struggle with is trying to get into a debate or a conversation with people who have differing opinions because they just resort to that uh, emotional attacking and name-calling and I just don't have the patience you know I've been doing this for 33 years and when we first, when I started out in talk radio we were the guys who only gave our opinion and we could turn to news guys to get the actual news now it seems like the opposite we're the ones giving the news and everybody else is doing opinion
0: yeah but it's subtle with the news guys you have right. no idea it's what they leave out is the is the story for example we we'll, we'll look at Ben Cardin staffers this weekend. Hmm. Uh, look what they look what they were doing um, in the uh, Senate, in the Senate chambers. Uh, about the videos that went out. Right. If you don't know, look it up. It is absolutely horrific.
1: It's gross. Most yeah.
0: stations didn't even support. Didn't even report it. Mm-hmm. How could you not report that? Instead, they look at Trump's ninety-minute speech and they pick out a couple of lines that they didn't like. Then they ask every Republican, what about these speeches that Donald Trump's making? Well, the other story is, he just got about 25,000 people, maybe more, in an arena, talked for 90 minutes, 45 of which were off-prompter. Right. And you didn't like some of the rhetoric that was in there. And actually, And again, go back to, it reminds me of Hitler. Go back to somebody, now first you tell him he doesn't know anything about history, that he's a really simple guy, and now you're accusing him of quoting Hitler.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you sense. can't
0: have it, and you're You're saying this, this like every other day for the last three weeks. <laughs> What's the next year going to be like?
1: Right. No. I listen. I agree. One final question for you, Brian. Um, do you miss the coverage of sports? Because when I first, you know, uh, got interested in you, you were like the the center of the sports universe, and now. You're like the center of the political universe, although you still do mention uh, sports every now and then. Do you miss it? I, I wish I was a sportscaster.
0: Uh, you know, I you know, sometimes, uh, yeah. but not a lot. No. Because, you know, I really feel like, um, I, you know, it's almost like something you do when some things come big. I, I really enjoy it when, when sports becomes news. Right. Uh, it is great when Super Bowl happens. On a day-to-day basis, you know, covering the next Yankee free agent or, you know— um, Nikki Haley's numbers. Capitals, capitals moving to northern Virginia. Right. I'd much rather cover 2024. I'd much rather cover the Hunter Biden situation. I'd much, much rather cover what's happening over in Israel. Yeah. I'd be very frustrated if I couldn't uh, be able to talk about the exposure of all those tunnels in Gaza. Right. So to me, it's much more substantial, but I still—I like to keep my hands in it to have competency there— yeah. also I find that these political campaigns are very much like sports no oh, yeah. strategies the execution the endurance the battle plan the money raise yeah. um, judging your audience forming if you're getting putting together your team the messaging the the debates or the, the debates are the battles so I find all that stuff very much like sports
1: yeah I remember when my friend Sid said do you think I Sid Rosenberg said do you think I should get into doing politics. I said, it's really just the same thing, only the names are changed. And uh, he's been been successful at that. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, And the book is absolutely fascinating. Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. And it is out. You can get it anywhere, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, Get the book, read it. It's It's a great read. Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it.
0: No problem. If anybody wants to personalize for the holidays, react real quick, BrianKillme.com, or just personalize. It goes to my local bookstore, and I'll, I'll fill it out the way you want it. Oh, uh, thanks beautiful. so much.
1: Thank you, Brian. You take care now. Yeah. Have, Merry Christmas. You too. All right. Let's take a, a break. We got to wrap this up in uh, the next segment, so I want to take care of a little bit of business right now. You stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So. As I said before, to me, this kind of season, this political season, is really just what I live for. Everything else is just waiting for an election or coming out of an election, anticipating what is going to happen. But this is these are some strange times. Today, or not today, I guess it was actually over the weekend, Germany deployed troops for the first time since World War II. That's so crazy when you think about it. How many, how many engagements or military actions have we been involved in? So this new agreement between Germany and Lithuania was leading to German troops' first permanent foreign deployment since World War II. And they made the announcement in Lithuania where they literally were outlining this multi-year roadmap action plan involving like 4,800 permanently stationed German soldiers. And it's a pretty historical moment because this is, especially for NATO, I think, if nothing else, German troops, including those with families, are going to be stationed in two cities in Lithuania beginning next year with most of the troops deployed even after that in the next year, in 2025 and in 2026, with a full operation capability expected by 2027. And in return, Lithuania is going to be committed to providing all that they need, whether it's civilian or military infrastructure, they're going to build it out. So, (sighs) It's just it's just fascinating to me. Germany has been in a holding pattern because of the awful World War II scenario that was endured, but the German brigade is uh, going to be now stepping up in Lithuania, where of course uh, Russia borders Lithuania and Belarus, which is a very close ally of Russia, also borders Lithuania. So Germany has now clearly figured out that when it comes to their own security, they're going to have to step up and take some responsibilities, particularly in that NATO alliance, if if they want to be safe. And deterrence is always best when it's not in your country, when it's outside of your country. So they've sent a signal now and anybody who wants to threaten uh, the peace and the security in Europe going to have to go through German troops or at least in the area of uh, Lithuania they are. It's a, it, again, as I say to you, sometimes I look at everything that's going on and I realize there's such important things we should be talking about and instead, we talk about stupid stuff, really stupid stuff. you know who's gaining on who? and and which which strategist is leaving which campaign um, you know, what did Rudy Giuliani say? He went from being in on the joke to now being a punchline? I mean these are uh, I guess they're somewhat interesting stories, but do they do they have as much impact on anyone as as for instance German troops in Lithuania or. Or the relevance, for instance, on, you know, what is, it, what is it that voters really want? Because I think it's pretty easy to determine that voters want something different. And they're ending up with a rerun of an election that they weren't satisfied with anyway in the first go-round. So we'll see. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. And then finally, I, I do have to mention this only because it is a story, and the way it was played out really was so wrong. Matthew Perry died not clean and sober, and the fact that they kept saying that he was clean and sober really tells us how different that the definition of what clean and sober is is, because when you're taking the amount of drugs that were in his system, many of them drugs used to eliminate dependence on harder drugs, you're not clean. And when you, I believe, and many, many other people will tell you, anybody in a 12-step program will tell you that if you are lying to everyone else, you're probably lying to yourself. And if you are lying to yourself, sobriety is going to be very elusive. So look, I I, I feel sorry. I don't like that anyone should struggle with drug addiction. And uh, this, this, you know, using ketamine infusion therapy for depression with somebody who's got an addictive past seems like a really poor choice to me. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, My plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Eric Erickson coming up next, and I'll be back tomorrow at three. God bless you and God bless the USA.